This is the HBO Boxing Podcast. I am HBO Boxing Insider Eric Raskin, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, fellow HBO Boxing Insider Karen Mulvaney. And it was a tough Saturday night, a sad Saturday night. All in all, not the best Saturday night of your life or my life. But one thing is for certain, we both had a better Saturday night than Max Kellerman did. That was some crappy timing for a guy who speaks into a microphone for a living to have to lose his voice. It's my understanding that there were some celebrities at the fights in L.A., uh, including Roy Scheider, who came up to Max and said, you're going to need a better throat. (laughs) See what I did there? Wow. How I brought it all back around. How many years have you had that tucked away? (laughs) At one point, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to like obliterate the embarrassment of my not knowing that line. <laughs> uh, I don't know that I uh, uh, obliterated anything uh, with that. I'm, pr- I'm probably just amplifying the embarrassment. Uh, that was but, good. That was um, but, good. you know, and I, I'm well aware, by the way, that Roy Scheider isn't alive anymore. But you do what you have to do in service exactly. of the bad opening joke. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. yeah, full credit to Max. He showed up at, once he showed up at the crew dinner and sat down and just like pointed at his throat and shrugged. It just, everyone was like, oh, that's perfect. Of yep. course. It seems perfect. about right. Yep. Full, full credit to him for soldiering on. On uh, what was, as you already alluded to, an extraordinarily difficult um, and emotionally draining evening at the StubHub Center in the triple header on HBO Boxing After Dark. Cecilia Brakus outpointed Alexandra Magjack Slopes, uh, Juan Francisco Estrada stopped Victor Mendez. And Clarissa Shields dominated Femke Hermans. Um, all of those individual performances were somewhat lost on a cold night in front of a small crowd by the broader narrative of HBO Boxing apparently taking its final bow after 45 years and 1,119 fights. Uh, we will talk about that in a bit. But first, to the last professional, quote professional, we must do... <laughs> Do our due diligence and give the boxes in the ring the credit that they deserve. So let's break down, before we do anything else, let's indeed break down uh, the evening as it unfolded uh, inside the ropes, Eric. Yeah, uh, we saw three dominant wins, uh, the victorious parties, each arguably not losing a round. Uh, it all went according to script uh, with the wins for Clarissa Shields, Juan Francisco Estrada, and Cecilia Brakus. Who impressed you the most of the three winners, Kieran? In, in other words, who won the night? So I guess, I mean, as you said, with with sort of introing this bit, all three of the winners did what they had to do, right? They all just needed to win and set themselves up for what comes next and move on. And I guess they all did that. Um, uh, Clarissa Shields, uh, you know, getting her opportunity on HBO, wanted to win fairly impressively, set herself up with a unification fight. And she's done that. Uh, Cecilia needed to look better than she did in her HBO bow, and uh, she did that, uh, and promptly went straight for Chris Cyborg. Uh, she's clearly trying to set herself up for a sort of, uh, you know, MMA boxing mashup there, uh, which I suspect will go considerably better than the last big MMA boxing mashup. <laughs> that, um, Probably that, won't that make was... as much money. <laughs> no, but... indeed, but will be a vastly, vastly better. Uh, evening. Um, I, I hate to say that of the three, it probably wasn't Cecilia because, you know, she was in the main event. She won very comfortably. She maybe lost one round and indeed lost just one round in total of the, of the 30 on the judges scorecards. And she did, you know, outperform how she how she showed up the first time around. But I think it probably wasn't Cecilia. I think it's a choice between in terms of who winning the night. I think it is a choice between Clarissa and uh, Juan Francisco Estrada, who um, 
it's really starting to grow on me a lot as a mm-hmm. as a fighter. He, it's interesting. He's, I've, it's been a long time since I've seen somebody who's quite so remarkably calm in the ring as he slowly increases the pressure that he puts on his opponent. And this was a fight in which Estrada barely looked to be breaking sweat, and yet was gradually beating the brakes off of a very game uh, opponent in front of him. And given what they all had to do, and given, you know, Shields and Breakers basically just had to win in order to get themselves to what they needed to do next. Estrada, as we talked about in the preview, probably needed to do a little bit more than that. He didn't need to just win. He needed to win and win impressively. Um, in order to sort of stake his claim to be number one A in and around that Superfly division uh, in the absence of Chocolatito and, and Sistrica. And I think probably he did that. I think he had a bit more of a bar to clear. And I think even though the first couple of rounds were kind of quiet, that's what he did. So it's close for me between Juan Francisco Estrada and Claudio Shields. But if you ask me who won the night out of the winners, I'm just going to go with Estrada. Okay, I agree that it is close between those two. Relative to expectations, for me personally, I would say Claressa Shields Mm -hmm. won the night uh, because I'll admit I've been underwhelmed by her at times in her pro career prior to this. Uh, You'll recall we were at her pro debut Mm -hmm. on the Ward Kovalev 1 off TV undercard. She struggled a bit that night, and in some of her fights since, she's looked very raw, not not terribly skillful Mm -hmm. in my opinion. I thought Shields looked quicker, slicker, and more athletic against Ermans than she had before. She was really snapping Ermans' head around with the left hook. I think John David Jackson, who she's only been with full-time for a few fights now, is making a difference. Um, taking expectations out of the equation, Estrada might have won the night just for being so aesthetically pleasing. Um, even in a completely one-sided fight, which this was, uh, you know, Mendez, I think, had a sparring partner mentality. He didn't seem yeah, to try to bit, win. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even in a one-sided fight, Estrada is a pleasure to watch. He's so smooth and graceful. Yep. There's an art to what he does and how he fights. And those CompuBox numbers, what, one last shout out to uh, Bob Canobio and company yep. at CompuBox. Those numbers were stunning. Uh, Estrada outlanded Mendez 225 to 67. And percentage wise, it was 37 percent to just 12%. And what does it say, uh, you know, about how good the winners looked in those fights that Cecilia Brakus, who boxed beautifully and won nine or 10 rounds, didn't get much consideration from either of us for winning the night. Uh, but she obviously fought quite well also. Uh, so uh, speaking of, of Brakus and, you know, sure, her calling for uh, Cyborg, perhaps, uh, it doesn't seem especially likely that Shields and Brakus will fight in the immediate future. Uh, there's there's the Brakus cyborg thing that she's working on. Shields is seemingly yep. headed toward a big fight with Christina Hammer, and she and Brakus are still two weight classes apart. But if it were to happen at 154 pounds, based on what you saw tonight, how would it play out? Yeah, and I guess if we're looking at it as an actual possible matchup rather than one of those mythical pound for pound sort of matchups, um, I, obviously. You know, a lot depends on how easy it would be for Shields to get down to 154 and what that would do to her. Uh, It feels as if, you know, a lot of what makes her successful is 
uh, Clarissa Shields, that is. Yeah, she's got impressive hand speed and she's putting together some good combinations, but she has like a snap and a power to her punch. And there's there's a there's a physical intimidation to her in the ring that is an important part of, of what she brings. And if she were to lose that, uh, if she were to still, you know, uh, go down to 154, still be able to throw combinations, but lose a lot of the snap. And boy, those punches land. I don't know how Femke Herman stood up because a lot of those punches were landing. You could feel them ringside, really good starting punches. Um, so if she were to lose that as a result of, of cutting that much weight, then you'd, you'd really fancy C- uh, Cecilia Breakers, I think, probably to be able to move, outmove, and outbox her because Breakers does have, I think, probably the better, silkier skills out of the two of them. But if something close to the Clarissa Shields that we saw last night was to get into the ring against the Cecilia Breakers we saw last night. I think it would be very intriguing because then it would be a question of whether Breakers' movement and boxing would be enough to frustrate just the, the raw energy as well as the power and combination of, of Clarissa Shields. I think Breakers would probably have a very, very hard time with the Clarissa Shields who, was, who we saw last night uh, if, if Clarissa was able to maintain that kind of standard, that kind of strength, that kind of power, that kind of energy by going down to 154 pounds. I suspect Cecilia Breakers thinks so too and figures that, you know, in a risk-reward scenario, it's it's better to go elsewhere, hence the, the enthusiasm for, you know, the way she very rapidly dismissed uh, fighting Clarissa Shields next in the in her <laughs> right. post fight interview and said, "Oh look, cyborg." <laughs> um, so uh, as you said, I suspect we shan't see it at least very soon. But I think it'll be very intriguing. And although, on the one hand, Breakers to, to go back to your earlier point about uh, Clarissa Shields working with John, David Jackson, on the one hand the risk factor might be diminished by Breakers taking that fight sooner rather than later because it yep. does feel as if Clarissa Shields is getting better. Yep. Um, you know, it would increase the reward ratio as well to, to probably to put it off a bit. But, um, you know, that's where she's really got to thread the needle if it is ever going to happen because it does feel as if Clarissa Shields is starting now to put those punches together well, to put those combinations together, to turn over the punches properly and just give her a little bit more. And it feels as if she could be quite close to a complete package. So uh, the TLDR... Um, is assuming <laughs> assuming Shields is able to maintain some kind of strength and energy um, by cutting weight and going down, then I think it would be very difficult for her because Breakers is on an entirely different level of anyone that she's faced before. But you just got to feel that that aggression, that energy, that power, that combination punching would give Clarissa Shields the edge. I believe when it's on a podcast, the acronym is TLDL. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I think it's, you know, it's a really good, high-class, competitive fight right now, assuming Shields can make 154 without depleting herself, as you said, and assuming that Breakus doesn't put on bad weight to get to 154. Right. Um, I probably wouldn't have said this two days ago, but I favor Shields. Uh, yep. You know, uh, and the listeners know uh, that I'm not a big size guy. Uh, most of the time, skill is much more important than being five or 10 pounds heavier. But this is a case where Shields has pulled close enough to even on skill that I'd, I'd probably favor her over Breakus, um, but you brought up the timing, and, and that's what's on my mind. If, if I'm Breakus, I want to make this fight ASAP. Uh, be like Floyd locking up Canelo early. Right, um, right. You know, it, it's a tough fight to call right now. Shields is only 23, the exact age Canelo was when he fought Floyd, uh, who was 36, by the way, uh, one year younger than Breakus is now. A year or two from now, when Clarissa is 24, 25, and Brakus is pushing 40, it might not be so competitive. So yeah. I don't know if this fight is going to happen. I don't know that it needs to happen. But if it is going to happen, I'd like to see it uh, in 2019 rather than waiting any longer than yeah. that for it. 
Um, so Juan Francisco Estrada got the only stoppage of the night, uh, helping you get your hand raised in our final fight prediction disagreement. So congrats on that. Uh, this uh, this was all planned. <laughs> this wasn't a notable opponent that he beat, uh, but he looked good, and it was on HBO. Got a decent audience. Does this victory as a last-minute replacement for Chocolatito help springboard Estrada to a meaningful fight next year? Yeah, and I, I think so. I think to you know to get back to the point I made earlier, he had to not just win. I think it would have been very bad for him if he'd have just sort of slept-walked his way to to a 12-round win. Um, he, he he needed to look better and more engaged than he did against Felipe Orocuta the last time around. Um, and he does have this habit. You know, when I asked him about that, um, you know, how did he gauge his performance against Orocuta? He said, well, that's what I do. I just start slowly and then I gradually pick up the pace. And he seems to be quite comfortable with that being the way that he fights. And that was the way that he fought. Um, as I said before, I liked the kind of calm assassin-like way he goes about it. He he looks sometimes like he's bored in there. He's so relaxed. Uh, but uh, he did exactly what he had to do, figured the guy out in the first round, slowly started to crank up the pressure. Um, really good technically, I thought, the way that um, he retreated just enough to uh, have Mendez come toward him and then stepped forward inside Mendez's point, punches to counter him. Uh, tremendous natural skill mm -hmm. uh, and experience there in display. A real, a real craftsman's uh, performance, I thought, in, in the ring there. And that's what he needed to do. He needed to go in and show that he can just beat up these kind of guys and that he's better than these kind of guys and the people that he needs to be fighting are Chocolatito and Sissoka in a rematch and he was impressive enough that you would want to see him in a rematch against Chocolatito or Sissoka so uh, I think it was absolutely job done for Juan Francisco Estrada uh, and obviously there are broader considerations now uh, we'll have to see where all these different fighters wind up right um, in terms of networks and and everything else but assuming all of those things fall into place they don't now have a superfly franchise ready-made to, to to slot into but assuming that they're able to do that and that all the politics work out then yes absolutely i think i think estrada did himself no harm at all he's always been in and around there when he has had the opportunity to get those big fights he's he's won them against everyone except those two uh, and then he's been very close he deserves another opportunity and i think he kept himself in the discussion yeah, it's the Strisicat rematch that's particularly on yeah. my mind. I mean, their fight was one of the five best fights of the year in 2018. Uh, so I, I would love to see that on some network in 2019. Uh, Estrada deserves it. He, he's been in and out of the lower reaches of my pound-for-pound pound top 10. He's that good. And uh, by the way, he carried 120 pounds nicely in this fight. Yeah, he so, did, yeah. Yeah, so maybe he has some flexibility on, on what weight he can fight at to make a big fight next year. Yeah. Okay, deep breath. Uh, <laughs> I think we are done talking about the fights, uh, and that means we're literally done talking um. about the fights. Uh, there are no more HBO boxing matches to talk about, at least for now. Uh, the door has been left open a crack for a possible future pay-per-view event, and who knows what could happen if the landscape of boxing changes a few years from now. But as of now, this is the end of a 45-year run in boxing for HBO, and that means... This is the final episode of the HBO Boxing Podcast that Kieran and I will be hosting together. We started this podcast in March of 2014, uh, shortly after ESPN had pulled the plug on Kieran's solo podcast, which, uh, no, all of you self-proclaimed big fans out there, the heavy-hitting boxing podcast isn't around anymore. Uh, so uh, Kieran and I were both doing work for HBO at the time. Kieran was suddenly available to podcast. 
I'd been pestering various editors there since uh, about 2010 uh, about starting an HBO boxing podcast. And Michael Gluckstadt deserves a lot of the credit for taking a chance on this thing when HBO wasn't in the podcast business at all and starting up a podcast for boxing meant potentially rocking the boat a little. But Gluck thought it was worth doing. He believed in the two of us. So a huge thank you to him for making this possible uh, and for, you know, beyond just the podcast, being a great editor to work with and work yeah. for all these years. Um, and one more thing Gluck deserves credit for is putting us on Radio Row uh, until yep. about two weeks before Mayweather Pacquiao. I had no expectation of being in Vegas for the fight, but then Gluck made that happen. He put us on Radio Row and that became a great tradition for us and one of my yep. favorite perks of this gig. We've done some memorable podcasts, interviewed plenty of noteworthy people over phone and Skype, but it's the in-person stuff on Radio Row with Roy Jones, mm -hmm. with Freddie Roach, with J.B. Smoove, with Lennox Lewis, on and on and on. Those are the memories that'll stick with me, uh, not to mention the adventure of trying to find a quiet place in the arena after every fight to do our live post-fight pods. Um, so lots of fun memories as the HBO Boxing Podcast took me all over the world. And by all over the world, I mean... Mostly just Las Vegas, occasionally New York and Atlantic City. Um, of course, none of it would have been as memorable or as enjoyable without a podcast partner that I enjoyed doing it with. Yeah, you knew this was coming, Kieran. Uh, if, I, if I could force myself to say nice <laughs> things about Detloff at the end of Ring Theory, you better believe I can muster something nice to say about you. Uh, but seriously, it has been a pleasure. It's been an easy partnership. Rasky and the Mulve. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, the, the chemistry was there from the start. Um, yeah, we agreed on our fight predictions a little more often than was ideal. But doing a podcast or a radio show or a TV show every week for five years, you're not going to make it if you don't enjoy working with the yep. person you're having these conversations with. Uh, and I'm hopeful that this isn't the end for us as a podcast team, but it is the end for us on the HBO Boxing Podcast specifically. I can't imagine there's anyone else in the boxing media I would have enjoyed doing it with as much as you. Thanks for letting me ride your coattails. And yes, that's something you say when you're pretending to be humble when really everyone knows deep down was the other guy who was riding your coattails. Over to you, Karen. Uh, yes, look, um, what can I say? It's Saturday night, and here he, the writer delves into his big bag of vocabulary to describe what it was like and comes up with, sucked ass. <laughs> it, was, it was really rough. I mean, it's been... Um, I think our gig over the last five-ish years has been, I don't think that there's a gig that I've enjoyed more. Uh, I, I've really thoroughly enjoyed it. And a large part of that is is podcasting with you and uh, talking with you and um, actually dealing with you, your thrill at the Philadelphia Eagles winning the Super Bowl <laughs> before before uh, podcasts and, uh, and no, note to, note to the Patriots fan listeners I didn't bring it up Kieran brought it up <laughs> and this year's been better obviously <laughs> right. but it's but I have a horrible feeling it's going to take a nasty turn um, that that's been you know hugely enjoyable and also as you said Eric I think we've been so fortunate um, obviously we've had other editors in the past with our work with HBO have been tremendously supportive who've who've helped move things along, Chris Vivian and Steve Morozov, but I just mm -hmm. can never say enough good things about Gluck, um, who has been such an advocate for boxing in the, within the company. He's done so much, not just for us, not just for the podcast, but for HBO boxing generally. He really fought the good fight um, within that company. Uh, and he happens to be a great editor and a fantastic person. It's been an honor 
as well as a pleasure to work with him as it has been um, to work with you. And the only reason I'm not getting overly emotional about uh, the end of our podcast is that, as you alluded to, I think we're both without being too complacent i think we're reasonably mildly optimistic that this is just a pause and mm. a reset and a reformatting of the series <laughs> um for for down the line uh we do hope that there will be more of of eric and i uh in box in boxing podcasting future hopefully in the not too distant future um there was one other thing uh with your indulgence that i wanted to add here because as you know the podcasting is part of what I do for HBO. Mm -hmm. um, as you mentioned, when we started this, uh, we were both, you know, working for the website and, and contemporaneously with doing the podcast, uh, I've had the opportunity to, to, you know, be the digital reporter uh, for HBO. And, um, you know, I'm really fortunate that for the last five years or so, I really have been all over the world with HBO. Right. Um, Vegas, Las Vegas, LA, London, Montreal, Monaco, Macau, Ekaterinburg in Russia, for God's sake. Um, <laughs> we could fill an entire podcast with the shenanigans that took place on that trip. Um, and as a consequence, look, it's been my really good fortune to get to know so many of the crew, the production team, the people who really make the broadcast happen and make them look so good. It's a tremendous bunch of people. We're our own traveling circus, our own family. We like each other and we have fun together. I look forward every time go into a fight because I knew that I'd be seeing friends and I'd be working with friends and and the thing is as well as being great people uh, they were all not only good but the best and that's why HBO Boxing was so great um, because the quality of the people involved as people and as professionals was so great um, and for me like my favorite moment always in fight week was on fight night and it was always just those couple minutes before the broadcast started and everybody you know we'd all be having fun during fight week and whether you were ringside sitting next to me or whatever uh we'd you know be chatting on the, on the crew meal and then the clock would kind of tick down and there was that feeling that everybody would start getting their game faces on and everyone would get into position and and i always felt really proud to be a part of that team because i looked around and i realized that not only did we all know and like each other but you knew everyone was going to do a good job and you knew everyone was going to pick up uh, uh everyone else um so uh as, as we already talked to Gluck, I, with your indulgence, I just wanted to give a quick couple of shout outs. I'm really yep. grateful to Dave Harmon, who is always mm -hmm. really supportive and very encouraging and gave feedback on his own time and um, was a good friend of the podcast, too. Yes. And it was great, great to have him. And that was still one of my favorite episodes, having Dave on talking about, you know, what goes on behind behind the scenes to some extent. And very grateful to him and, and for the sort of traveling team, Ed Mulholland and Kevin Flaherty and Jerry Elia. Um, uh, certainly going to miss you guys terribly. Uh, full credit to Tammy Kotel, who I who I adore, and um, folks, you may have sometimes just seen this woman with a headset on, like in the corner of the screen, escorting r r fighters to the ring, or being in the ring, or um, and wondered who she was. You have no idea how much HBO Boxing broadcast really needed Tammy to make everything run like like clockwork. And I was also really happy to be a part of what we called internally Delta Force. That was the team that put together the fighter minutes you would see during broadcasts, or the little packages, or the two days, or the twenty four sevens, and and they're a great bunch of people, and I really, really enjoy being a part of that team and our own little subgroup within that, the digital team, uh, Albert Kim and Jess Johnson, and most of all, Tom Costello, who had the worst job in HBO Sports because for the last five years, I don't know how much time he spent looking at my face and listening to my voice, <laughs> trying to edit both in a way that made everyone look good. Uh, so, And I also don't know how many times he had to buy me breakfast at hotels around the world over the years. He's a very patient man, so thank you, Tom. 
Um, and anyway, I'm realized this is turning into an Academy Awards speech and we don't, <laughs> and we don't have the budget for the music to play me off. So I'll wrap it up just to say, just to reiterate, look, it's, this has been with you in the podcast, with working with Gluck, with being on the road, it has been the most enjoyable gig I've ever had. It's been enjoyable because I like the work. It's been enjoyable because being at HBO, you knew you were among the very best. Um, I will miss this very much and I will miss them, but it's been a fantastic ride uh, for you and I. And of course, for all of those who have been a part of it for many, many years before us. And I just wanted to finish by saying, look, HBO boxing may be over, but its legacy will endure for a long, long time. And as I'm sure is the case with you, I'm honored to have played a very, very small part in it. Absolutely. Well said. Uh, so that brings us to the end. Uh, and it is the last HBO boxing podcast the two of us are doing together. But it's not the last HBO boxing podcast. That's coming next week, the fourth and final installment in my series of oral history style podcasts. Previous episodes covered Hopkins versus Trinidad, Ike Bayabuchi, and Hamed versus Kelly. Next week, it's Oscar De La Hoya versus Fernando Vargas. So don't cancel your podcast subscription just yet. <laughs> um, now, we always end the podcast with a pithy thank you for listening. We'll make it slightly less pithy this time as we thank you for supporting the show over nearly five years, nearly 300 episodes. We got an email on Saturday night from a listener yeah. sharing how much the podcast meant to him, how it got him through some tough times, how he still re-listens to old episodes. That just blows us away. It's wonderful to hear. It doesn't suck to feel appreciated. Yeah. Um, and the email ended with a hope that we have a new podcast in the works. And so uh, you alluded to that, Kieran. All we can say on that front is make sure you're following us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Raskin. Kieran is at Kieran Mulvaney. We will keep you informed there as to where we're headed next. But for now, we close with a sincere thank you for listening. I'm Eric Raskin. And I'm Kieran Mulvaney. 